You know, one of the most difficult things about traveling is deciding what you want to bring. You get ready to pack, you go get your suitcase out, but you don't really know what's going to happen for sure. So when you get your suitcase out, you start thinking, well, maybe we're going to have a formal evening. Maybe I should bring along a sports jacket. Maybe it should be a nice shirt, slacks. But on the other hand, maybe it's really just going to be casual. Maybe what I need is a couple of polo shirts. So what happens is you stand there looking at that, and what do you do? You pack them both. So then you start thinking, well, what kind of shoes am I going to need? Well, I've got to have casual shoes to travel in. But then again, we intend to go hiking, so you need some sort of hiking shoes. But then if we do go out on a formal night, then I am going to really need some nice shoes. And so you get all these pairs of shoes out to decide between. And what do you do? You pack them all. And that's why you then get to the airport and put your suitcase on there, and it weighs more than 50 pounds. And you have to start unpacking to travel a little bit lighter. You have to be very careful if you're going to Russia. Years ago, when we first started going to Russia in 1991, we were told, you know, Russia is not set up for tourism. They don't have lots of porters. They have a lot of areas where there are no sidewalks. No, no, you really need to be able to carry your bags. Don't count on wheeled luggage being able to be used. You need to be able to carry your bags, whatever you really need. So when we went in 1994, Marsh and I took our children. Um, Paul was then 11 years old. Kelly was then 13 years old. And so we were going to take them, and it was going to be in the middle of winter, so you couldn't haul your bags in snow. And so I wound up saying to her, I said, look, I need you guys to go pack your bags. You're going to have to carry them. I am not going to carry your bags. I'll have to carry my bags. Mom's going to have to carry her bags. You two will have to carry your own bags. So please, go pack your bags, and I want it done at least one day before we go. So they went up. They packed their bags. And one day before we went, I said, all right, now I want you to take your bags, and I want you to go out to the park in front of our house, and I want you to carry your bags all the way around the park. And Marsh and I looked out the window just so we could watch them, and it was great fun to see them trying to carry their bags around the park. And they came back, and I said, well, guys, what do you think? They went to their rooms and began to lighten the load. Because you learn so often it's easier to travel lighter, and we tend to carry too much. This morning, I'm going to continue on with this sermon series, travel lighter. Because right now, we know that as a country, we are about to start traveling. And my goodness, you start checking. We, we started calling people to talk about the concert last weekend, making sure to invite people. I mean, I saw a number of names that aren't going to be there. Every name we called to invite who wasn't on the list said, we're going to be out of town. We are traveling. You can hardly get a rent car. It's hard to get flights. It's hard to find hotels to stay in. I mean, as a country, we are starting to travel. And so it's important for us to stop and think about this for a moment as we move back into life. How are we going to travel? What are we going to take with us? And we said, we're not going to look at this just from a physical traveling point of view, but we're going to look at it from an emotional, spiritual point of view. 
as we're traveling on the journey of life, what are you carrying with you? Is it possible that we need to travel lighter? Is it possible there are some things that we really do need to leave behind if we're going to enjoy the journey? Our scripture this morning is one that I love. But to understand our scripture this morning, you have to understand the context where it comes. Jesus and the disciples had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. They fully expected that Jesus was going to form an army, establish a kingdom, overthrow the Roman government. That was the belief. And then before they knew it, Jesus was betrayed, he was tried, and he was dead. And then there would be this resurrection, meeting a risen Christ. All the joy and the confusion. What does this mean? Fifty days would go by. They would stay in Jerusalem, kind of keep their head down because there was still a whole lot of people who were looking for these followers of Jesus of Nazareth. And so they stayed in Jerusalem. And really that was a great thing. It was a time of of grief, a time for beginning to adjust to understand what happened and how your world has changed. And then after 50 days, it says there was the Holy Spirit. God poured out His Holy Spirit on the disciples. We call it Pentecost. And on that day, they were filled with an incredible spirit of joy and enthusiasm and energy. And now we read about the early church following that. That's where our passage comes from. And it says, and in the early church, they were now worshiping in the temple daily. They were breaking bread together in each other's homes with gladness and generosity. A glad and generous spirit. It's going to be important for us to think about here. People have just come through a difficult, horrific painful time. Fifty days later, they're gathering together with a glad and generous spirit. Something is happening to them. Now, so often we don't always think about the church as associating joy and gladness and laughter. And there's a reason for that. When you look back through history during the Middle Ages, the establishment of convents and, and the establishment of monasteries, who were the most religious people? Well, they were the monks. They were going to be the, the nuns, the people who went to go live in these places. You had to wear black or brown. You always looked at your feet. You did not make eye contact. You did not speak unless someone spoke to you. You kept your hands folded. You spoke in quiet terms. Now, those were considered religious people. Do you see Jesus... The same way, we tend to think of Jesus quiet, calm, hands folded, under control. Do you ever think of Jesus and think he's slapping somebody on the back, telling a great joke? I believe he did. Don't forget it was Jesus who went to Canaan of Galilee and changed the water and the wine to keep the party going. No, there's supposed to be joy. They gathered there together in Jerusalem with glad and generous spirits. You know, it's been said that a day wasted is a day where you do not laugh. 
It's because of the gift of God's Holy Spirit and what that can do in our lives that you and I can be the people who laugh, who know joy. We can learn to travel lighter. It's what I want us to think about this morning. And I really just want to share with you two ideas from our scripture. First of all, I believe what happened in the early church was they made the decision that they were not going to stay bitter, but they wanted to get better. They had every reason to be bitter. One of their own had betrayed them. I mean, Judas, he was one of the twelve. He started bringing the whole thing to an end. And then there were their own religious authorities, the Sanhedrin. They were out to get Jesus. They were jealous. It was political. And then there was the Romans. I mean, Pilate even said, he is innocent, and then crucified him anyway. They had every reason to be bitter. And yet they would make the decision to let that go. To make the decision to let it go and decide we want to get better. And through the power of God's grace and the resurrection, continue to live, to embrace life and to love. Worshiping in the temple, loving God. Breaking bread together in people's homes, loving others. With a glad and generous spirit. You and I both know, as long as we're alive, there will be people who treat us unfairly. There will be things that happen to us that are unfair. And it is so easy to grow bitter. Do you want to be bitter? Do you want to get better? Last week we had our friends from New York come here to Oklahoma City. And it was such a thrill to be able to meet these new people. I mean, they were phenomenally talented. If you were here at the concert, you know they were amazing. But they were also just really nice people. It was fun getting to be with Tamar Green. Here he's singing in Hamilton. And he was such a fun person. And John Riddle from Phantom of the Opera. And we had uh, Dan uh, Michikee. Michikay, Dan Michikay, he plays the piano in Wicked, conducts in Wicked. And then we wound up having uh, uh, Erin LaCroix, who has also from, been singing with us, and she plays in Phantom of the Opera. And then uh, Megan Paterno. And Megan Paterno obviously stars also as Christine in Phantom of the Opera. Well, three of them were able to come in on Thursday. In the end, it was winds up being John and Dan, who didn't get to come until Friday, right before the concert. But three of them were here on Thursday, and there was a small group of us who took them out to lunch and got to meet them and welcome them to Oklahoma. And, you know, we had one afternoon, a few hours. If you have new guests to come from somewhere else, you have a few hours to do something, what would you take them to do? We decided to go to the memorial, the bombing memorial. They're from New York. They have the memorial there for 9-11. And so we took them. And I, I have to say, it's been several years since I've been through the museum. I've been there many times before, but it's been several years. And as we took them through the museum and as we listened to the videos and as we looked at the photos, you know, I would fill in with stories from behind the scene. What happened at the church with each of us talking about what happened to us personally and I got to tell you, even though this was 26 years ago, 
more than once, I found my eyes very misty. And looking over at our guest, I found tears streaming down their cheek. We wandered through the museum and then we went outside and I was explaining the survivor tree, explaining 901, 903, capturing that moment, understanding the black hole, the granite, the reflecting pond. We walked over into the areas where the chairs are, one for each of the 168 people who were killed. While we were walking that grassy knoll among through those chairs, Megan was just sobbing. It was very emotional. But when I came away from that, I, I had a very distinct understanding. I am still emotional about it. But you know, I'm not bitter. As a city, we are not full of people who are stuck and bitter. We've gotten better. We were able to take such a horrific moment and we remember and it still brings grief, but we have moved forward to grow our city, to grow ourselves, to be able to embrace life again, to love again, to know joy again. We made a conscious decision. We will not stay bitter. We want to grow better. Even though what happened is so horrible and unfair and wrong, it's a choice you got to make. And it happens not to us just as a society. It happens to us individually. You can call those moments in your life when somebody has hurt you, when somebody's been unfair. And you've got to decide what to do with that. As I've been talking to people about traveling this summer, it's amazing how many people, now that they're free of this pandemic for 15 months being locked down, where do they want to go? Disney World. And why not? It's the happiest place on earth. They'll tell you. Can <laughs> I go to Disney World? A lot of parents and a lot of grandparents. You'll probably see me there too if you go. So we're going to Disney World and we're going to all have fun and they're wanting to get back out. And it, it just made me think a whole lot about Walt Disney. I've been a great fan of Walt for years. I've read so many books about him. I've tried to study him, tried to study Disney. And it made me think about the story how almost it's 90 years ago now, 90 years ago, it was Walt who was establishing Disney Studios. He's buying land, buying buildings. He now had figured out how to create these animation cartoons. He was hiring animators, teaching them how to draw these frames, how to make it work. He was creating amazing things. These shorts that would run before a major the production, the theater part. Well, they were incredibly popular. He had created a character that Walt thought this is going to help change the world. The little character you remember was Oswald the Rabbit. Oswald the Rabbit was this creation by Walt Disney and making these little shorts. It had become very profitable and very exciting. Well, it came time to renegotiate his contract with Charlie Wins. He was the distributor. He would get the films, go to the movie houses, negotiate contracts. 
And so Walt and his wife Lily decided to make a great time out of it. They got on a train and took the trip all the way up to New York to meet with Charlie. And when they did, Charlie broke the news. I've sent a person out to California secretly representing me and he has now signed all of your animators to work for me. They no longer work for you, they all work for me. If you want to still work on Oswald the Rabbit, then you'll have to work for me. Walt was stunned. He went to Universal Productions, who was also a a part of helping to make these, and said, we're going to have to stand up to Charlie and what's happening. And Universal said, well, actually the way the contracts are written, you don't own Oswald the Rabbit, we do. And since he has all of your animators, we're going to work with him and not you. We have the telegraph, the the telegram that Walt sent his brother Roy back in California. He said, Dear Roy, Charlie is determined to get absolute control of everything and will do everything in his power to gain his end. But unknown to him, we have a stronger power on our side. Don't worry. I really do feel that everything will turn out all right. We're going to live with integrity. We're going to do this right. We have a stronger power on our side. He went back to Charlie. And he knew that if he didn't sign to work with Charlie, he was going to lose everything. He'd lose Oswald the rabbit. He would lose financially everything. And so he went back and said to Charlie... You have all my animators. Universal owns the rights to the movies of Oswald. But you don't own me. He refused to sign and knew he was basically walking away from everything. Got on the train to come back home. In the first part of the trip, they were quiet, he and his Lily. Finally, along the way, he said to her, you know, I need to create another cartoon character. I know. I've really been thinking about it, and I decided this time I want to work with a mouse. And he started drawing a mouse. And he said to Lily, I like this. I think I'm going to call him Mortimer Mouse. And it was Lily who said, I like the mouse, but I don't like the name. I think we ought to go with Mickey. And he said, I think you're right. On the ride home from having lost everything and being stolen from you is when they created the idea of Mickey Mouse. And whenever you go to Disney World and you go around, you'll see signs everywhere that say, just remember, all this was built on a mouse. And you don't build the happiest place on earth on bitterness. Walt had to let it go. You have to let it go if you are going to build the happiest place on earth. If you're going to build a place of laughter and joy and love, you're going to have to let it go. And that's what he did. You and I will be mistreated by others and sometimes by the world But you have a choice 
Will you be bitter? Or do you want to get better? And through the power of God's Holy Spirit, we can move to the most difficult and dark moments of our lives and we can find ourselves in the temple, loving God, breaking bread, loving each other with a glad and generous heart. We can do this. Secondly, I believe what you sense in the early spirit of the church is they were there together because they were so grateful. It was living in a spirit of gratitude for the gift of God's grace, for the promise of God's strength to go into the future. They weren't looking at what they lost. They were looking at what could be. It was living out of a spirit of gratitude. There is nothing that will destroy bitterness quicker than being grateful. I mean, you think about it. Either you're focusing on all that you've lost and how this was so unfair, and that's why you're bitter. But if you're focusing on how you've been blessed and what can be and what you have, you're grateful. So being grateful truly helps you to let go and unpack the bitterness. So you travel lighter in the journey and find great joy. To stop and remember to give thanks for those who have blessed you and how you got here. Having time to visit with all of our different guests this last week, they all had wonderful stories. And I'm going to be telling you stories about their life as the weeks roll on by. But I wanted to tell you about Megan Paterno. You know, Megan stands about 5'2 or so. She plays that part of Christine Day in Phantom of the Opera. And she has a voice that is just unbelievable. Well, we were talking about how did you get there? How did you come to Broadway? And she was telling me how back in 2015, she was getting out of Manhattan School of Music. And her background really was being opera. That's what she's trained as, is to sing opera. And she had started singing opera in Canada. And Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall was singing in Europe. She had been singing a concert in Spain, was coming back to New York to do a concert in 2017. And when she got back, she said, I have a group of people I call my fairy godmothers. They are women who are strong. And for whatever reason, they've chosen to be so kind to me. They took me under their wing. And they were so kind. And I'd come back and they said, I know we've got other concerts to do, but we want you to come and to sing for a man. His name is Michael Capasso. Michael Capasso is kind of in charge of New York City Opera. And he wasn't all that thrilled about listening to her, but he said, I'm going to be having lunch if she wants to come and sing. The ladies had made it happen. So Megan went, and during lunch, she sang for Michael Capasso. He stopped eating lunch. He thought, I, I have a friend I'd like you to sing for. He lined up an audition for her. His friend was putting on a, a, a musical. It's called Candide. And it's both operatic and kind of a Broadway musical show. It's kind of a combination. And he was trying to cast it. And he said, I'll get you an audition. And so she said it was very different from an audition in opera. There's always one of you. It's very quiet. People, you sing. 
Broadway musical, there's 15 people there to sing and a table, people lined up. It's very chaotic. So she came in and she sang. She got back home, was telling some of her friends, I had an audition today. I was singing for Candide and it was for in front of a man and his name was Hal. Hal. And they said, Hal Prince? I mean, Hal Prince is one of the greatest directors and producers of Broadway musicals in history, doing so much for Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yes, it was in front of Hal Prince. And he listened and he was blown away. He called her back in and said, I want to give you the lead in Candide. So suddenly she was now going to be in this opera, New York, Broadway kind of musical. And she was in rehearsals and still in rehearsals. When he came back to her right along with Pat Birch and they said, I know we're in rehearsals, but they're going to soon bring Love Never Dies which is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera. It's going to be the original presentation and an America tour. We want you to have the part of Christine. Kind of carrying over from Christine on Phantom of the Opera. She said, I think that sounds exciting. He said, well, I need you to sing for one other friend of mine. Okay. His name was Andrew. She said, they gave me a stack of music about this high and for two days and said, could you learn all of that? Certainly. She worked on it. She came in. The first song she stood up and started singing in front of Andrew Lloyd Webber before the song was over. He had jumped up out of his seat and was shouting things of encouragement and said, you have the part. So now she's going to wind up being Christine in Love Never Dies. But then they were going to start having a third world tour of Phantom, literally around the world. And they said, we're going to transition you to that, Christine. And when you're there for a little while, then we're going to bring you to Broadway and let you have that role. Now, we're talking a couple of years. I mean, it just started happening so fast from all these people. And October the 16th, 2019, she said, that was my Broadway debut. And I came out and we're performing the role. She said, I wish I could tell you what that night was like. But there were so many emotions, I don't remember. She said, I really don't remember anything about the night until the curtain call. And when we finally got through with the show and they lifted the curtain and then brought it back down, they're going to lift it up for us to come out and take a bow. I remember they lifted it and everyone was taking a bow. And she said, I was jumping up and down. She said, I was so excited. And then I realized, oh, no, I'm supposed to be taking a bow. <laughs> but what she said was, when I started taking the bow, all I could think about was my fairy godmothers who had had me come and sing in front of Michael. And just a month before this opened, Hal Prince had died. And all I could think about was Hal and Pat. And I thought of all these people who owed me nothing and were so kind. I wanted to take a bow for them. I was so grateful for them. And she said, as time has gone on and we've learned about putting on these Broadway productions you know, I've become so grateful for all the people out front, the people who are taking the tickets, the ushers, the people behind the scenes, the stagehands that you will never see. None of it would happen 
without all of them. So every time I take a bow, I think about all of us and taking a bow for them. To live in a spirit of gratitude for all those who have blessed you and the good things that come your way. You can focus on what you have lost and focus on what you have. How you have been blessed, where life might be. Those are the promises that God gives us. The power of His Holy Spirit. If you live in gratitude, it's easy to unpack the bitterness and leave it behind. To put a smile on your face for the journey. I heard a great story about a man who was going to take a vacation. His name was Harry. Harry lived in East Texas. I've lived in East Texas. Living in a small town in East Texas, that's a unique place and experience to live. That's where Harry was. He'd lived there all of his life. He'd gone to the same barber for 35 years. And he came in to get his hair cut. And, and his barber said to him, so Harry, you taking a vacation? And he said, well, yes, yes. My wife and I have been dreaming all our life. We've been saving. We are going to Europe this summer. You're going to Europe? Yes, we are so excited. We're going to go to Europe. Oh, Harry. Oh, Harry, you're going to hate that flight. I mean, that flight from here all the way over to Europe, it's terrible. I mean, you're going to be sitting there in the back in a small seat. It's always going to be crowded. You can't go to sleep. It's always cold. It's going to be crazy. I'm telling you, Harry, you're going to hate the flight over to Europe. Really? Really? Where are you going? Well, we've always wanted to go to France. We really want to go to Paris. We want to go eat in a sidewalk cafe. And Oh, Harry. You're going to hate Paris. You're going to hate Paris. Really? Yes. I mean, in Paris, there's nothing but a bunch of Parisians. They don't speak English. All they speak is French. And so you're not going to be able to order anything. You're not going to be able to communicate with them. They don't really like Americans. Oh, Harry, you're going to hate Paris. Oh, okay. Where else are you going? Well, we want to go to Italy. We want to go see beautiful art and historical things. Oh, Harry, you're going to hate Italy. I mean, there's so much traffic. All the cars are small, but there are so many cars, you can't travel anywhere. You're going to drown in traffic. It's terrible. You're going to hate Italy. But we want to go to the Vatican. I mean, I really want to go to the Vatican because I think it'll be such a spiritual experience and there's so much to see and nurture my soul. Oh, Harry, you're going to hate the Vatican. I mean, don't think you're going to see the Pope. I mean, you're going to be out in St. Peter's Square. He's this tall. He's on a little balcony so far away. You don't ever really see the Pope. He is so far away. I mean, Harry, it's not a big deal. You're not going to enjoy the Vatican. Hope you have a great trip. <laughs> so Harry leaves. He goes on his trip. A month later, he comes back to get his hair cut. When he came back in, he sat down. His barber said, so Harry, how'd you like your trip to Europe? He said, well, just like you said, we got out to the airport. It was crazy. There were so many people. It was just congested. It was oversold. They couldn't get our seats right. Our seats were lost. So they moved us up to first class. 
I mean, I had seats that laid down so you could sleep. I mean, we were sitting there eating with sterling silver and crystal and on a tablecloth. We ate a phenomenal meal. We could have anything we wanted to drink. It had to be one of the greatest experiences in our lives, traveling first class to Europe. Wow. We got to France. We went to Paris. My wife and I had been studying some French, just wanting to have a little fun. And we sat down and we started trying to use our French. And what we discovered was they all spoke English. And so they started speaking to us and we're talking with them and, and now we're having a grand time and they're laughing and giving us directions and telling us places to go. We loved Paris. So then we went over to Italy and oh my goodness, the art, so unbelievable. We loved all the art. It was stirring for your soul. We went to the Vatican. I went into the Vatican and oh my goodness, I, I was standing in this long corridor and I was looking at this painting and it just kind of lifted your soul to heaven. And I was so engrossed in it, I didn't notice the entourage coming down the hall. And I looked over, and it was the Pope. <laughs> Here was the Pope coming with an entourage down the hall, and I looked right at him. He looked right at me. We made eye contact, and he motioned for me to come over. He wanted to give me a blessing. And I went over to the Pope, and I bowed my head, and he leaned in and whispered in my ear, Harry, you spoke to the Pope. What did the Pope say? He said, that's the worst haircut I've ever seen. <laughs> a day without laughter is a wasted day. You and I can discover the gift of laughter again because of the gift of God's Holy Spirit. We may have come through very difficult moments and times, but it is God who brings us to a new day, to where we want to be in the temple, worshiping, loving God, breaking bread in one another's homes, loving each other with a glad and generous spirit. It's about giving up the bitterness and living in gratitude. We really can know joy. Maybe it's time to travel lighter. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. Um,